Someone's baby boy ain't coming home tonight. A Jojo Bizarre Adventure fan fiction. Written by Sim KJRS. And read by God of Laundry Baskets. Part 2. Jotaro continues investigating the border of the zone, but still no progress. He's getting frustrated now. How is he supposed to understand what's happening if he keeps forgetting everything? How will he stop the red-haired girl? How will he protect his mother? He's getting snappier at home, and even though it makes him feel awful, it keeps bursting out in fits of temper that have his mom trying harder to be kinder to him. How is he supposed to deal with that? He just doesn't have anything to say to her. It all sounds so impossible. How could he possibly explain? And even if he withheld the details, how would he tell her how he felt? It's bad enough that she worries when he says nothing. Saying something would just make things worse. Better to cut it off before it can begin. But one day, while he's out again, he finds himself looking at a payphone longer than necessary and thinking about that offer. It's stupid. What does he have to say to his grandpa when there's so much he won't tell his mom? Still, he looks. And he wonders. But one day, while he's out again, he finds himself looking at a payphone longer than necessary and thinking about that offer. It's stupid. What does he have to say to his grandpa when there's so much he won't tell his mom? Still, he looks and he wonders. But one day, when he's out again, he finds himself looking at a payphone longer than necessary and thinking about that offer. It's stupid. What does he have to say to his grandpa when there's so much he won't tell his mom? Still, he looks and he wonders. One day, when he's out again, he finds himself looking at a payphone longer than necessary and thinking about that offer. What does he have to say to his grandpa when there's so much he won't tell his mom? And yet, how many days has it been? And how bad has he gotten? If he doesn't make any progress or do something drastic soon, He's going to end up saying something he regrets to his mom, and... And he does want someone to listen. He does want someone to know. Jotaro rarely has much to say, and even when he does, he's an expert at keeping himself silent. But pain is not something that can be hidden for so long. Pain demands to be heard. It demands to be witnessed. Then, he will just have to get himself a witness. He pushes coins into the payphone impatiently and dials the old man's number, listens to the phone ringing. He thinks, I can still hang up right now if I wanted to. It's not too late to step away. He doesn't hang up the phone, 
But he doesn't stop thinking about it either. Then the phone clicks, and it's too late to pretend he never called. Joseph Joestar speaking! Gramps doesn't know it's him yet. He can still hang up and walk away. The thought lingers in his mind, and it feels interminably long between the thought and the body moving, the mouth opening, the tongue forming words. Old man. Jotaro? Yeah. It's good to hear from you. So rare for me to receive a call instead of initiating them. He chuckles. <laughs> Did you call just to chat? Jotaro snorts. They both know he doesn't exactly chat. <laughs> nah, just remembered what you said the other day. Of course, of course. The old man is quiet for a moment. What is it? I don't know. Anything you can tell me? I don't know. He clenches his jaw and hisses his breath through the teeth. This is stupid and pointless. Just what did he think he would achieve? Never mind, I'm hanging up. No, wait. What? You don't have to tell me what's going on, but maybe we can talk. About what? You can listen to the wild adventures of my youth. No thanks. The old man laughs at him. He turns serious a moment later, though. But Jotaro, the fact that you didn't hang up immediately and told me first, and waited when I talked. You want company, don't you? Something is really eating at you. It's annoying how he gets perceptive at the worst of times. It's not really any of your business. But you called, didn't you? He scowls. You wouldn't believe me. Why not? It's just beyond reason. Well, surely it's not any more unreasonable than the trip to Egypt. Jotaro frowns. What was so unreasonable about our vacation? The old man laughs. Jotaro doesn't. He doesn't say anything. The old man stops laughing. You're not joking, he asks. What the hell would I joke about? My god, Jotaro, the Egypt trip was horrible. Great, but horrible. How is it not unreasonable? I thought it was fine. No, you've got to be joking. I mean, fighting at the end by yourself, plus all those fights, not to mention after and funeral. Jotaro's head fills with a painful static, and he stumbles, clutching his head. His vision dims for a moment, consciousness slipping from his grasp before he manages to grab onto it for dear life. Something important. The old man just said something important. Something vital to him. What was it? What did he say? Jotaro? Say it again. What were the names you just said? Abdul and Iggs and Kakuin? 
Jotaro can't hold back the hiss of pain that escapes him this time. It feels like a white-hot spike being driven into his skull, static ringing in his ears until he can barely even think straight. But this is important. He has to remember. He has to. Say their names again. Who did we meet in Egypt? What did we do? Jotaro, do you not remember? We traveled with them for two months. We went to fight did You do remember that, right? That's right. He traveled with the old man, too. To... His head hurts. He needs to stop thinking about this. He has to keep thinking. Jotaro, what's going on? Shut up! He snaps, and he can hear the harshness in his own tone. But who has the time to think about it when he has to remember? It wasn't just sightseeing or vacation, was it? It was for Mom, because she was sick. We needed to... to... We needed to save her from her fever, the one that was caused by her stand, the old man supplies, tone cautious. And to do that, we left to fight de- It hurts. He can barely think. Who? Dio. Do you remember him? Dio Brando. White, hot pain explodes in his brain, so intense he can't breathe, can't even see, can't feel anything or sense his body at all. His ears are ringing. His vision slowly clears. He is crumpled in the phone booth, and the sound of his harsh breathing echoes in the small space. The phone is dangling from the cord, with the old man's tinny voice issuing from it. Tro, Jotaro! Jotaro? Are you okay? Are you there? Jotaro! Jotaro pushes himself up unsteady and grabs the phone with a trembling, white-knuckled grip. Gramps, he croaks out, and the old man starts talking rapidly, but he can't hear it. He can't focus. He can't think about anything but the sudden influx of images and memories in his mind. Avdol with his fire, and Polinov's sharp and clever sword, Anubis and the Darby brothers, Steely and Dan, Iggy's fool, his grandfather's body on the ground, knife lodged in his throat, too far away for him to do anything, too far and far too late, a terrible feeling of surprise, hanging in the air helplessly as Dio approaches with a malevolent smile, a corpse burning on a bridge, what does it matter, it's already lost, Abdul's two bloody arms, Iggy's tiny still body, and, and, Kakyoin, he breathes, the old man says something, but it just does not matter. It's all just noise. His chest tightens in a horrible, familiar way, the anguish seizing in his throat like a physical thing. And the guilt. Yes, oh yes, the guilt. But it is nothing, nothing at all, in front of the sheer horror of the fact that I forgot about Kakyoin. Jotaro, what's happening? What's going on? I forgot them. Avdol and Polnoref and everyone else. I... I... He feels it build up in him. A horrible and mortifying and terrifyingly vulnerable thing. And he doesn't even care. 
I forgot them. How could I forget them? They were... They... they... It's okay. It's not your fault. It's okay. They were my best friends. Like a damn breaking. That's all it takes for him to start crying in earnest. It rips out of him. This awful confession. This ugly, soft thing. How could something so shamefully soft come from him? How? It tears him right back open, this wound he didn't even know he had. It all comes spilling out. They were the first friends he'd ever known. They were the first people to understand him, and the first ones he'd ever really understood, too. They had fought together. They had taken the same quest together. They had died for him, and he'd failed them, failed to protect anyone, and failed to do anything until it was too late for half the group and almost too late for the rest. And he hadn't even managed to carry that knowledge with him. He had just forgotten. Like it was nothing. Like those sacrifices and those deaths were nothing. How could he do that to them? How could he? Jotaro, I'm booking a flight to Japan. No! The words burst out from between horrid little sobs. He can't quite stifle, and it just makes it worse. The fact that he can't even control himself about this, that he can't lick his wounds in private, can't get himself together, like he even deserves to be in pain about it when he's the one who lived, when he's the one who got to forget. How long have you been dealing with this on your own? You're crying, Jotaro. I... The old man sounds strangely helpless. I've never seen you cry, not even at... Not even at everyone's funeral, where he was too empty and numb to muster even the slightest of moist eyes for everyone he'd lost. Jotaro covers his mouth with his hand, but it barely does anything to muffle the horrible, keening wail that comes from the weeping, aching thing in his chest. I can't let you do this by yourself. The old man can be in Japan in just two days. Just hold on until then, okay? I'll be there. We'll go through this together. No, Jotaro repeats. You can't come. If you do, I... He takes a deep breath, tries to speak, and it just comes out again in this terrible, wounded animal noise. And again, and again, and then... There's something in this town that's making me forget everything. You can't come. If you do, then you'll forget, too. And then who will be there to remind me? I... 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 He covers his face with his free hand and feels the wetness of his eyes. The proof of his grief almost threatens to break the dam once more. I can't forget again. I can't. You have to promise me. Jotaro, promise me. I don't want you to be alone. Promise. I... Please. It's shameful. It's so, so shameful. But this is what he's reduced to. This begging. This is what he would give all his pride all his dignity, everything he has, 
as long as he can still carry the impossibly heavy burden of his friend's death. The roles are reversed for once. The old man is silent, and it's Jotaro who can't keep quiet, with these little hiccuping sobs constantly forcing their way out. Pain demands to be witnessed. He remembers thinking earlier, and he hates himself for saying it, for being right, for passing down to him this terrible malediction, that in trying to vent his frustration, he found the floodgates for all his grief instead. Okay. His grandfather's voice is quiet, subdued, far from his usual self. But you have to promise me one thing. A cost to it. Jotaro finally calms down a bit, no longer heaving for breath as if it was the first and last time he'd ever cry. He's back in familiar territory. If there's something he wants, it must come at a cost. He just hopes it's something he can bear. What is it? Promise me you'll remember that it's not your fault. What is? All of this. Dio, Avidol, Polinarf, and whatever's happening in your hometown. Everything. Jotaro is quiet, finally. He thinks, but it is my fault. Promise me, his grandfather demands. You'll stay at home. I will. You'll remind me if I ever forget again. I will. I promise. Jotaro nods and wipes his eyes, then remembers his grandfather can't see anything on the other end of the phone. All right, then I promise too. Good. And Jotaro, now that you've calmed down... I think you should tell me what's going on. He does. He tells someone, finally. And it should be catharsis. Except, as he talks, all he thinks is, I'm sorry for lying, old man. I can't keep that promise. After all, he can't believe in something that isn't true. He can't go back home. He can't. If he goes back into the zone, he'll forget everything. And he can't do that. Not again. He'd rather die. And he doesn't call home because he has no explanation and no idea what to say and no way to face his mother's worry. And anyways, he's terrified that if he drags her into this, then something terrible will happen to her too. So he goes to a park and feverishly writes down everything he remembers about the trip to Egypt, paper after paper, until he's run out of space on them entirely. And then he starts digging through trash cans for newspapers and discarded scrap paper, and writes on those, too. And he keeps writing until his hands are cramped and the moon is up, and both his pens have run out of ink at last. He sleeps fitfully in the park, every time he wakes up and reaches out for the papers he wrote on, just to reassure himself they're still there that they didn't disappear in his sleep. 
Morning finds him tired and exhausted, but filled with a manic drive to finish what he started. Today, he will destroy whatever is causing him to forget if it's the last thing he does. With a thought, he summons Star Platinum to his side. The stand emerges with eyes alert and fists ready for combat as ever. Jotaro unfolds his map and shows it to his stand. We're investigating the border of this zone. If you see a stand in the area, catch it. Ora! Jotaro is never quite sure if Star Platinum understands him or not, but he nods, and they set off. It is a short hour of searching before Star Platinum spots something with his sharp eyes. He perks up like a hunter that spotted its prey and surges forward, arm shooting out to catch something hidden in a nearby bush. A moment later, he pulls out the wildly waving tendril of a ghostly, slightly glowing vine. Jotaro steps closer. The leaves are palmated lobed with three lobes each, serrated around the edges. Tiny curved thorns decorate its stem. There are small white flowers, each about the size of a coin, with five rounded petals and delicate wire-like stamens cupping the golden pollen within. It would look like any other wild-growing flowering vine, if not for the faint green light that scatters from it and the way it writhes in Star Platinum's grip and scratches lightly at his arms. Jotaro breathes in shallowly. It smells like berries and fermenting wine, and a familiar static is starting to fill his head. Uproot it, he says. Star Platinum grabs it close to the roots and yanks it out of the ground. The dirt breaks apart as the roots come up, but more than that, Jotaro stares at the mass of ghostly vines that unfurl from underneath the ground, waving wildly in the air like a hellish nest of spider legs. With a nudge from his will, Star Platinum catches a few of the vines and yanks them out as well, only to reveal more vines writhing underneath the dirt like worms. They heave like a thing alive and unfurl from the earth more and more, until it is an entire wall of thorny vines rising out of the ground, the gardens, the street, the space between houses, stretching along the perimeter of the forgetting zone. He can't suppress his revulsion, taking a single step back. How many of these things are there? As if sensing his weakness, the vines coil together, and then they lash out at him, grabbing at his legs and coat and arms, everything within reach. Star Platinum starts grabbing and breaking them apart, only for the vines to start wrapping themselves around Star Platinum as well. As soon as they do, Jotaro feels like the breath just got knocked out of him, and he drops down to one knee, gasping. Star Platinum flickers before rematerializing, but somehow his presence feels weaker than before. Don't tell me. The vines don't just erase memories. They drain a user's ability to use their stand as well. Shit. He's got to get out of here. Looks like you've got yourself in a bit of a bind, Joe Star. God damn it. Jotaro wrenches himself to the side and succeeds in turning his body just enough to look back. It's a red-haired girl, the one who is trying to kill him. 
the one he now remembers, approached him multiple times just to... to talk. But why? She momori. You remembered, she says. She smiles mockingly. Took you long enough. Jotaro grits his teeth. Fuck off! I don't have time for you right now. He can feel the vines steadily draining him, some inexplicable essence being emptied out from him as they speak. No. Shimomori drifts closer, looking at the vines holding him and Star Platinum down. It seems to me like there's no better time than now. Are you fucking stupid? The vines are going to get your stand, too. She laughs at him. <laughs> You're the one who's stupid. Have you forgotten I don't have the same disadvantages as you? After all, I don't have a close-ranged stand. With a flick of her fingers, she produces a set of papers. They're photos, he realizes belatedly. Her stand takes photos and makes them real. And the papers turn into a set of knives. I almost feel like I should thank you, she says. For what you said, you were right. It's because I don't have anything else left that I have to make sure that pain means something to you. The hell is your problem, Jotaro snarls. Behind him, he feels star platinum flicker again. The energy needed to keep him around is nearly gone. Is this about Dio? Did I kill someone you care about on my way to get him? She laughs, high and wild. Dio! Oh, who gives a fuck about Dio? You killed my brother. Her. What? It hits him like a punch in the gut. Red hair. The foxy smile. The hatred. Noriaki, she says. A threat. An accusation. All at once. Kakyui Noriaki. You're the reason he's dead, and you just forgot. It wasn't me, he wants to protest. I wasn't the one who delivered the killing blow. But the thing is, she's right. It is all his fault, and there's nothing he can do to try and make up for it. It's too late for anything. Kakuin is gone. What is it? Shimomori sneers. Nothing to say. There is one thing. I'm glad Kakyoin has you to remember him. Her face twists in fury, or maybe grief. Shut up! You have no right to say that! With a sharp, angry twist of the body, she throws the knives. For a moment, Jotaro just watches them approach, because it's so pointless, all of it. Why not just wait for them to fall? Suspended, midair, light gleaming off the blades, his impending death in sight, and he is helpless to fight back or do anything at all. The world. Time stops. His heart is thumping in his chest. His breath is coming ragged. He has to calm down. 
calm down. One. 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 With a thought, Siddhar Platinum tears away the vines wrapped around his body. In this stopped time, the vines can't pose any resistance anymore. Two. 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 He tears the vines off his own arms and legs as well. His hands are trembling, he notes. From adrenaline or rage or what, he doesn't know. Annoying. It's annoying. Three. 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 He steps out of the way of the knife's trajectory and walks towards Shimomori. His shoes clack against the pavement, loud in the oppressive and utterly complete silence of the world. Four. 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 Behind him, Star Platinum tears down swath after swath of vines. The roots tear up, great chunks of earth, dust clouds billowing up before suspending themselves midair like curtains. Stupid. It's so stupid. All of this. It just has no meaning at all. Five. Jotaro comes to a stop before Shimomori. Time, 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 time has resumed once again. He punches her. Her eyes widen in shock as she goes flying backwards, and for a moment he sees another familiar face laid over hers. Jotaro never noticed before how much she looks like. Is this what he looked like when the fatal blow was landed? Unable to understand what had just happened, even as he fell towards his death. Shimomori doesn't die here, of course. Jotaro wasn't aiming to kill. And besides, he can't punch that hard even if he wanted to. He strides forward, and she scrambles back. Smoke and mirrors appears beside her, and it attacks Jotaro with an overwhelming murderous intent. Jotaro calls Star Platinum to his side, and he fights because he has nothing to say. Nothing to make it better, and that's the only thing he knows how to do. It's an easy fight, now that he has all his memories back. By the end of it, Smoke and Mirrors has been recalled by its owner, and Shimomori has collapsed on the ground. He looks at her, coughing, at the blood dripping onto the street. The skin on her face is scraped and bleeding. It's ironic, using the ability of her beloved Dio against her. It's so absurdly funny. It's not funny at all. Did you even plan on surviving a fight with me? He says. She pulls herself to her feet with a glare, cradling her side. What are you talking about? Those times I forgot everything. You could have done a hit and run. Could have walked right up to me and stabbed me, or killed me in my sleep. I wouldn't have been able to react, because I didn't have a clue. He tips his head back and looks up at the clouds. The sun has lit up their fringes, a brilliant white, and he is tired. So tired. And just now, if you hadn't called out to me, 
If you'd silently attacked with no warning, I'd be dead. If you'd fought smart, you could get exactly what you say you want. Easy. So why? It's none of your business. When I was fighting Dio, he says, I didn't care if I died, as long as I killed him too. I don't care what you thought. But I also thought, I can't die until I'm sure he's dead too. Jotaro finishes. He looks at her. You don't even have that. Shut up, Joestar. Stop talking like you know anything about me. It's all just words. They both know. They've recognized each other from the very beginning. The feeling of familiarity. He's just like me. She's just like you. But he doesn't say it. He says, You're right. What? At least when I was throwing my life away, I knew what it was for. You don't. You're just doing it because there's nothing else to do. And whose fault is that? She shouts. Noriyaki's never coming back. My family's never going to know what happened to him. And I got my stand too late to understand him. Too late to help. Too late for anything. Just what do I have left? It feels like looking into a mirror image. A distorted reflection of the moment when he watched his grandfather's body fall to the ground. He hadn't lost everything then. Not everyone was yet dead. But it sure felt like he had. Because if he'd been just a little faster. If he'd reached a little further. Then he could have stopped it all from happening. And yet, right there in front of him. That thing which he should have been able to protect him had been taken from his hands. He sees the fury he'd felt then reflected in her eyes. Such a bright and furious thing that it would burn itself to death. That had just been a fantasy, hadn't it? Some silly veneer. Because if he hadn't been burning himself, then all that would be left in him was despair. Jotaro looks at her a moment longer. Then he turns his back on her and walks away. What are you doing? Shimomori snarls. He has no idea. He just knows he's tired of fighting her and all these conversations about death and loss, all of it. And he can't help her. Even if he could... She wouldn't want it, so all that's left to do is to walk away. Am I not even good enough for you to finish off? She yells at his back. Don't look down on me. If you don't finish me here, I'll be back for you again and again. I won't ever let you know peace. I don't want to kill you. She goes silent. Not you or anyone else. I'm tired of it. Do what you want. He looks back, just for that one moment, and takes in the strangely bereft expression on her face. 
Live for the sake of killing me if you have to. But if it's a death you want, you're not going to find it here. He resumes walking, and this time she doesn't say anything. The nearest car is only a short distance away. Using star platinum, he rips open the gas tank cover and helps himself to a container of fuel. Then he walks back towards the section of torn-up ground where he tore a hole through the hedge of vines and where the tendrils are struggling to regrow once again. The world, he calls, and the world falls once more into perfect and terrible stillness. Carefully, he pours the fuel over the still-alive tendrils until the tank is empty. Reaching into his pocket, he takes out his lighter and flicks it to life. Then he sets it all ablaze. The vines burn. The flames spread along the hedge, even as the vines writhe and try to retreat back under the dirt. He watches the sheet of flames for a while. He hopes the flames manage to burn at least a bit of the rest of the vines underground before they go out. It doesn't matter that much, though. He's already made a gap in the perimeter of the zone, and with this, hopefully, the effect of the zone will be ended. All that's left now is to hunt down the user and make sure they can't ever do this again. A low, raspy chuckle sounds behind him. He turns around. <laughs> Jotaro, says Shimomori. You're quite funny. You act like you'd do anything to protect your mother, and here you are, taking away the one thing that was protecting her. What? Wait. Shimomori smiles beautifully and pulls out another photo from her sleeve. It transforms into a great painted eagle. Better run fast, Joe Star, or you'll end up the same as me. Taking a single leap, she lands on its back, digs her hands into its feathers, and with a great cry, the creature flaps its wings and shoots up into the sky. Fuck. Fuck! Jotaro doesn't think he's ever run so fast before. He tears through the streets, heedless of the pedestrians by him, and when that's not fast enough, he starts using star platinum to boost his steps until he's leaping across entire streets and buildings at a time. He uses the world again and again and again, as much as possible, as long as possible, anything to get him home just a little faster. Please let him be on time. Please! He bursts into his neighborhood so forcibly it leaves a crack in the street, slams the gates open so hard the hinges break. It doesn't matter. The doors into the house are already open and he sprints inside and just as he does, he hears a high, terrible scream. Mom! He slams open the dining room door, star platinum rearing back with fists clenched, ready to go. Ishimomori has touched a single hair on his mother's head. He stops. The furniture has all been overturned. There's huge slashes and dents across the walls, and a few knives embedded in the plaster. Shimomori is bound in a mass of vines, blood dripping from her head where she's taken a few blows. Her stand is equally bound and struggling next to her, even as it flickers unsteadily, growing weaker and weaker by the second, and standing next to them with a deer-in-headlights look, like a thief caught in the act, 
is his own mother, with an all-too-familiar mass of vines rising out of her arms and back. Jotaro, she says in a high, trembling of voice. I, I wasn't expecting you back so soon. He can't speak, can't even move. His eyes are glued to her stand, the thorns and white flowers and the red berries blooming out of them even as smoke and mirrors weakens and that familiar scent of fermenting wine filling the air. It was her all along. No, he hears someone say distantly. He feels his body lurch one step back and then another. No! The vines disappear from sight, dropping Shimomori and her stand to the ground. His mother reaches out towards him, desperation in her wide blue eyes. There are burn marks on her fingers and arms, he notes numbly. It was her. Totoro, please, this isn't... He cuts and runs. He doesn't know where he's going. He's running blind. All he knows is that he has to get away, and he has to move until he doesn't have to think about it anymore, doesn't have to face that broken room and his mother's pleading face as she calls his name, begging him to understand. He doesn't want to understand. He wants to close his eyes and cover his ears and put his head in the ground. Oh, that terrible, better time when he didn't have a clue and could imagine it was some nameless and faceless enemy he could defeat. But he can't, can't hide from it or defeat it. All he can do is look back at the truth to see this terrible thing that was lurking in his own home all along. Inside him, in that dark space of his mind, filled with love and hate and worries and regret, cluttering the space like an attic left to collect dust. He must have had a shelf reserved for his most precious things, at which he would never question, at which he would never give up. It was a barren shelf, but he had treasured the things, held on there while they lasted, the lives of his friends, precious and irreplaceable his faith in them, that they would survive, the assurance that he would be able to protect what was most important to him, and if not, at least he could avenge it. One by one, these things he hadn't known he had had cracked and fallen. Too little too late. By the time he knew of it, he'd already lost most everything. He thought he had lost everything, Yesterday proved him wrong. The certainty, the inviolable nature of his own mind had crumbled, gone before he even knew it was something he had. And now, the second-to-last item on the shelf, lonely and worn, that even if he had nothing else, he had his mother. It cracks. It breaks. It is gone all gone, leaving only one final sentinel on that shelf. Please don't take that last precious thing away. She finds him there, a Kasai 181, 
looking with empty eyes at the place where it all began. He notices her right away, but he doesn't turn to her, doesn't react at all. He just keeps looking until her hesitant steps have brought her almost within Star Platinum's reach, and then he lifts his head and steps away. She stops. The expression she has is so awful, he has to look away. Jotaro. There's so many things he wants to say, thoughts crowding in his head, a cacophony so loud he feels like he might burst with it, the way it claws under his skin and wails to be let out. But he's never been good at saying what needs to be said, words all abandoning him in his time of need. In the end, the only thing he manages to say is, Why? Why? She repeats, baffled, like she can't even understand why he asked. Because Egypt broke you! He grits his teeth. So that means you can just... just... A white-hot anger rises up now, as it always does. A protective instinct, because being angry is so much easier than the hurt. But how can he be angry at her? It chokes everything he wants to say before it can even reach his tongue, and he just stands there, fist clenched and trembling, unable to strike against her, but equally unable to forgive. Oh, Chotaro, you should have seen you, she says. She sounds heartbroken. She has no right. You are so haunted, walking around in the halls like you weren't sure if you were a ghost or despairing that you weren't. You barely left your room, barely even talked to me, and the look in your eyes was so empty, like you'd lost everything. You had nothing left. She is really going to say that to him. Now, her? He lifts his head to look at her now, expression unchanged. But she must see it, the great and jagged chasm yawning open inside him, such a vast and monstrous thing looking back at her out of his eyes. She flinches, and she tears up. Don't look at me like that, she pleads. It was better when you left it all behind. You were happier, weren't you? You could look at the world around you and see the people, see the sun instead of the ghosts you were carrying with you. It was better than now, too, wasn't it? It was better to forget. You don't have to keep feeling like this. How? His voice rises into an accusation. By forgetting them all? She winces, but doesn't back down. Why not? She fires back. What has remembering them done to help you? He thought. He always thought she was brighter, kinder, better than him. But the sheer cruelty of the question steals all the breath out of him. How could you say that? They were my friends. Her lips tremble. But they're gone now and you wouldn't move on from it. You won't, ever. Not on your own. Isn't it heavy, Jotaro? All that hurt and pain, knowing everything that happened to them. Isn't it hard? 
That journey happened for you, he accuses. They died for you. You're miserable, she says entreatingly, a voice begging him to see reason. Can't you see that? Before I used my stand, you were like a dead man walking, just waiting to join them in the afterlife. How could I wait and watch you throw yourself onto the pyre? There is a lump in his throat he can't quite swallow, because he remembers those days now, and she's not wrong. But you shouldn't have done it like this. The problem was your grief. It had to go. If you didn't remember, you wouldn't be sad anymore. You'd smile and laugh again. And you did, Jotaro. Don't tell me it didn't work, because it did. You know it did at the beginning. You were happy. Well, happier. I can make it happen again. This time, I'll take care of any other enemies who come our way, okay? Makes him feel sick, how earnest she is about it all. I'll make it all better, okay? You won't ever have to live in a world where you lost your friends. She steps forward, reaches out to touch his sleeve. Just come home, Jotaro. That's all you have to do. Crack. Don't touch me! They stare at each other as the weight of what just happened settles in their knowledge. Slowly, hesitantly, she retracts her hand, reddened where he slapped it away. He takes a step back, and then another, and she takes a shaky, heaving breath, halfway on a sob, and he wants to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, but he did mean it, and he's not sorry, not completely, and he's so achingly angry, he doesn't know what to do. Jotaro, she entreats, my baby boy, I'm so sorry. For what? What do you mean? I'm sorry. Isn't that enough? He glares. You know what I mean. Just what are you sorry for? For the fact that you took my memories away? Or the fact that I found out? I did it for you! She steps forward. Her eyes shine with such mad conviction. He finds himself taking another step back. Why would you want to keep those memories? Those things gave you so much pain, so much anguish and grief. All they did was bring you down. But they were mine. It burst out of him, almost without his knowledge or his consent. The words hang suspended in the air under that indifferent and distant sun. Her mouth parts soundlessly. He thinks that she's going to say something, but then her expression crumbles, her eyes fill with tears, and a terrible heartache that turns his stomach to see. They flicker slightly down on his face, or something caught driveling down his cheeks, he realizes now, that he's crying. He angrily wipes his face. How dare she look at his hurt? How dare she? It was my anger, he says, voice shaking. My sadness, my grief. 
not yours, not anyone else's, mine. Without them, how would I know it all meant something? How would I know it was real to me? You had no right to take that away. She should have understood from the very beginning, but she didn't. She's taken something that was supposed to be inviolable away from him, and he'll never get it back. It was part of me, Mom. You said you love me, and that you wanted to protect me. That grief was part of me, too. If I needed your love, then it was my grief that needed it most. You should have protected that part of me, too. She's crying now, and the tears that fall from her eyes gleam brightly under the sun. I just wanted you to be happy again, she says in a small voice. Everything about her is small in that instant, her shoulders drawn in, her hands clasped, her head ever so slightly bowed. She looks so small and lonely against the great expanse of the street stretched out behind her, the empty sidewalks and their spiritless, perfectly cut hedges, no one to look over curiously or hurry on by awkwardly, no one here to witness her at all, except him, just him. I know, he says. The tears don't stop falling. I love you. You know that. Come home. He looks at her numbly, and he feels it once more. The unbridgeable gap that stretches wide between them. He used to be so comforted by the way she refused to be deterred by the distance. How she would stretch her hand out to him time and time again, ever reaching. He thought it was love and kindness, an offer of salvation. But it isn't, he sees now. It was a terrible damnation all along. Come quietly to the underworld. Just trust me. The waters are so sweet for you. If you stay, you'll never know it was anything other than paradise. Come home, Jotaro. She's still saying, Please, I'm sorry. He yearns to take that hand so badly, to go back to the old days when he knew he could always return and say, I'm home, and hear her sweet welcome. He could, if he just closed his eyes and went quietly. He would never have to know. He takes one more step away. I can't, he says softly. She starts crying harder. Jotaro, she says, then, my baby boy, please don't leave me. He looks at her. Don't go. Slowly, he opens his mouth to speak. I'm sorry. He turns his back. He walks away.
The full magnitude of what just happened hits him by the time he finds a shitty motel on the other side of the city. He barely manages to get through the booking before he stumbles into his room on trembling legs. When he lifts the phone, it takes three aborted attempts to dial the number correctly. Gramps picks up on the second ring. Jotaro! Old man. His voice sounds terrible, scratchy and raw and terribly thin. Get me out of this town. What happened? I don't want to talk about it. Don't ask, he thinks forcibly. Don't! The pause seems to drag on unbearably long before the old man says, Okay. He barely has time to feel relief before the old man continues. I'll call your home to let Holly know. No! There's a long silence. Just. Jotaro rests his head against the wall. He closes his eyes and feels defeat down to his very bones. Just get me out of here. Just you? Yeah. How long? Jotaro doesn't answer. You don't plan on going back, do you? So what? There's a faint sigh. Look, you're smart, so whatever it is that got you acting this way must be pretty bad. But leaving forever's not the answer. I don't care, Jotaro says. If you don't help me, I'll do it myself, so make up your fucking mind. All right, on one condition, Jotaro waits. When your flight arrives in America, you tell me everything that happened. All of it. He lets out a breath. Old man, don't keep asking. You don't want to know. How would you know that? Because I'm the one who found out, and I wish I never knew. His voice cracks embarrassingly on the last word. It's so shameful how clearly it has affected him. But more shameful is that what he said was true. Would have been better if he never found out. But he has, and now things will never be the same again. Jotaro! You're my family. Maybe you're right about how I'll feel, but I'm not letting you go through this alone. I'll be here for you no matter what, so when you get here, tell me everything. I'll carry your burden with you. Even if I can't help, I can listen. You know, there's something I've always told Holly. Pain demands to be witnessed. I see you, Jotaro. Your pain is real. That's why I won't. Leave you alone. Jotaro trembles. He puts his hand to his mouth to catch any sound he might make before it can escape. Thank you, he wants to say. Thank you. But when he finally speaks, all that comes out is a wet and scratchy. Okay. The old man understands him, though. Like Mom always did. Of course, Jotaro, you're my family, after all. 
he clings to it, this fragile comfort that has already been torn to shreds, so bitter and so sweet. He lets himself pretend. By the end of the phone call, he has a date, a flight, and a faint hope that somehow he can keep moving, even if that movement is only the blind animal instinct to escape. He goes out for a walk, exhausted and in desperate need of something different. He meanders along streets he's never been to before, watching people go about their lives. Feels like something in the world should have changed after everything. It hasn't. Everyone is still doing the same things, living the same lives. He doesn't know how to feel about that. When he passes by a nearby park, he finds Shimomori waiting for him there. She's standing warily, balanced on the balls of her feet, like any moment she might spring into action or run away. Kujo, she greets. Shimomori. They look at each other for a while. There's the sound of people talking in the background, children laughing, as they swing on the play structure. The sun shines merrily, and the wind rustles cheerfully through the trees. I should congratulate you, he says at last. She shifts her weight uncomfortably from foot to foot, frowning. I didn't know. I thought it was part of some plan of yours from the beginning. Forgetting everything? She nods. Why are you sorry? It was the perfect revenge. Somehow, she doesn't look happy with that. I didn't do it on purpose. So what? I ruined your life. Now you've ruined the wreckage of mine. You got exactly what you wanted. Shimomori curls her lips in frustration. That's not it! Listen, Kujo... I... He waits. She never does complete what she started to say. Whatever. If she doesn't want to talk, he has things to do. He moves away. Wait! She grabs onto his sleeve and pulls him to a stop. A few hours earlier, it would have earned his annoyance and an aggressive, cold shove away. But now, now, he just feels calm. It wasn't really a revenge. I didn't do it right. If I'd have known or planned it all along, then I could say it was, but I didn't. So that's why... Shimomori, he says. She stops talking. You asked me once, what would bring me to kill someone? Yeah, you said you'd do it if you didn't care enough to stop anymore. Jotaro lifts his face towards the sky and feels the sunlight and breeze on his skin. Mom's still alive. I haven't lost everything, but somehow it really feels like I have. Cujo. That's why, he continues. If I was in a fight right now, I don't know 
what I would do. Go home. She holds onto his arm a moment longer, then her grip loosens and her hand slides down. For a second, he thinks she's holding his hand. He almost breaks then. He almost tells her, I'm sorry, but he doesn't. After all, he has no right. She lets go and steps away. We're a sorry bunch of bastards, aren't we? She says, cracking a humorless smile. Don't worry. I haven't forgotten a single word you've said to me. So, that's why I'm telling you this. You won't see me again. That's right. The thing he said to her when he dragged her down from the school rooftop. He watches her disappear around the corner of the block. He doesn't see her when he rounds the corner himself. For the rest of his life, he never sees her again.